Pop Culture Playbook, we are back with another edition of this podcast. Here to talk the college football playoffs. Washington and Texas was amazing. Michigan and Alabama was a classic. Can't wait to dive into these games. We're pretty much going to go drive by drive on all these games and explain uh, my analysis on it, what I took away from offensive play calling, the defenses, special teams mishaps that were huge in both games last night. So big shout out to Mizzou for beating Ohio State in their bowl game. You guys can say whatever you want about Mizzou playing Ohio State's B team and whatnot, but it's a big step in the right direction for a program that needed some juice. They've got some recruiting juice that's come in the past couple years. They've got some other studs coming in next year, and it's time. Transfer portal, incoming freshmen. It's going to be interesting to see Mizzou where they end up next year. I think they deserve a top 10 spot in the preseason rankings for sure, especially with the 12-team playoff coming next year. I think Mizzou's going to have a shot to to be in that top 12 next year. So let's get right to these bowl games. First, we had Michigan and Alabama. This game was a classic to me. Rose Bowl doesn't get any more traditional than Alabama and Michigan in a Rose Bowl game to go to the national title. And I honestly was expecting Alabama to jump on Michigan pretty early, which they did. They got out to a 7-0 lead to start. J.J. McCarthy was playing well. Michigan looked really physical early, proving why they've you know stayed undefeated and they've been to the college football playoff now three times in a row. They they're just in the trenches. They're just unbelievable. And they're well coached and their schemes are amazing. And you know they lock up. And man, Alabama had a tough time with it early. Michigan's special teams was killing them all game. Missed field goal snaps. He had missed field goals, drop punts, just a lot of miscues everywhere. And I think if Michigan cleans those turnovers up. Obviously, it doesn't go all the way to overtime, and I think you know Michigan's not sweating out a seven-point win. If so, Michigan has been the most physical college football team in the country this year. The Big Ten is the most physical conference, and I, I think Michigan is just destined to. You know, they're always destined to be in the national championship, regardless if you you know hate them for their cheating or whatnot. But this is the year that Michigan has put everything together on both sides of the ball. So they had a thirteen to ten lead at halftime, and the game. The score was close, but I think Michigan had more of the you know, momentum going in. Obviously, Alabama ended the half with the field goal. Um, we'll get into real record later and how special he's been this year for Alabama. But let's jump ahead into the like second half where this game got into to be a really a classic. So you had the Jason McClellan TD 30 seconds into the fourth quarter to make it 17-13. At that point, Bama... And, you know, it looked like they were going to be in the driver's seat for the rest of the game. And, you know, at, you know, at the half, J.J. McCarthy it was only had thrown for over 100 yards, barely, um, a couple incompletions, but had just been, you know, his typical game manager self. And actually in my notes I had written that I don't know if he had gotten better this year. I think he's made less mistakes. So I guess that it is an improvement from the year before. But he hasn't ever really had to step outside of himself to uh, to will Michigan to victories. Now, he comes up in big spots for them all the time. In the big games they've been in this year, that he's always stepped up. Um, he had two TDs in the first half, but, I mean, in the third quarter, in his first drive in the fourth, he had a bunch of hurries. It was an early three and out. And that was at 13-40. So it's early in the fourth quarter. This game is still very close, can go either way. And once Michigan gave the ball away, it's kind of, you know, he kind of just put the ball into Jalen Milrow's hands. And what I thought was Jalen Milrow was going was gonna to have a, a decent game. He actually turned out to, to have, you know, to have an all right game. His turnovers weren't 
a huge thing until his fumble inside the own 50. Quentin Johnson, number 28 on Michigan, ripped him. Milrow had the ball on, the, on his right arm and inside hand. I don't think if he had it in his left hand, it would have been any different if he still fumbled. I think Michigan still jumps on it. But either way, I think he was just trying to do too much. You see he's going to the left side, and he's just trying to shake the defender, and he's trying to go east and west, just get north and south, who live to play another down. And He tried to do too much, and that's what happens when you go in the open field against good tacklers. They're going to they're gonna make you learn real quick. Number 94, Chris Jenkins on Michigan is a hell of a D-tackle. That whole D-line had a, had a great game. Mason Graham had another good game himself. He was the MVP of the game, actually. We'll get into him a little bit later. Michigan in the second half really started to take it to Bama, and what I thought Bama had all the momentum, Michigan clearly took it back. Michigan had a big play to Roman Wilson, and they shot themselves in the foot with the flea flicker and a missed field goal. That was a big turning point. I thought that flea flicker was going to be the turning point for Michigan. I thought it was going to knock them out of field goal range and potentially lose them the game just out of a blunder of a play that you call in a big moment. I just kind of questioned that play call. Why the flea flicker when your offensive line has been playing decent? Don't give Alabama's defense any momentum at all. And at this point, this is the college football that you love to see in the semifinals. Yeah, we've had some good games in the past in the semifinals. A lot of them have been blowouts, but this is, to me, the first classic semifinal game. So there's all this drama, there's all this stuff going on, and Alabama takes the lead 17-13, McClellan with the TD, as I noted before. So at this point, Will, Gre- Will Reichert, who has been – Alabama's silent MVP uh, this season makes it 20 to 13 off 50 yard field goal and his stats on the year were 20 for 23 um, three for three on kicks uh, over 50 yards and actually he made two over 50 yards in this game uh, with a season high of 52 so that was good to see he's been amazing this year all his kicks look just you know on point great art great velocity you could definitely tell he's going to be an NFL kicker and probably have success right away. So let's jump into the fourth and two. And Michigan gets a wide open Blake Corum off a of busted, off busted coverage. Roman Wilson comes in from behind and blocks somebody in the back. But you know, Michigan still gets the first down, which is good, but you definitely don't want to see those yards taken away. And in the very next play, JJ McCarthy had a 15-yard run that easily could have gotten those 15 yards back with the late hit out of bounds. I'm glad they didn't call it. I'm glad that they don't, you know don't just succumb to uh, the sideline pressure when the team is making a whole big deal about the refs are throwing a flag and then he feels pressure and then he just throws the flag kind of as like a makeup call. I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, these refs were actually pretty good tonight. I really didn't have any complaints about it. And when you get a game that's not decided by the refs, it's decided by the players, that's when, that's when you get those classics. At this point, Michigan is driving and they need to score. If they don't score, if they get a field goal in this this possession Alabama probably around the clock and that'll be game over and JJ McCarthy once again comes up huge throws a pass over the middle which actually got tipped by Deontay Lawson who's you know had a good game himself and when it got tipped it actually made Roman Wilson have to really get up in in the air and make a good adjustment on the ball and he comes down with it and so now Michigan has regained all the momentum 
So next play, Roman Wilson catches a tee in the flat, and that makes it 20-20. to 20. And at this point, you're just hoping that Alabama and Michigan can get into overtime as a fan. Now, obviously, Alabama has time to drive. You know, I hear all the Milrow buzz. I hear all, you know, he can be a good quarterback. Uh, he is a true NFL prospect. I don't really see it right now. I think he needs another year of development, which is okay because he has the athleticism and the skill set to be an NFL quarterback. It's just about his accuracy, his decision-making, you know, and his footwork. It's just kind of the general things for, for guys like him who are really good athletes and are good throwers, but they're still improving to make those NFL throws. And so, you know, I kind of want to see what he's going to do in this final drive. I don't care if he uses his legs, he throws a bomb, however he can get this team into field goal range, just do it so you can get a dub. And on the first down, he throws a, a back foot pass off his, off his, you know, throws a throw off his back foot, and it's incomplete. And so that's a bad start to the drive. And I'm just thinking to myself, if Michigan keeps getting pressure, keeps getting hands in his face, he's not going to be able to complete a pass under this type of pressure with these bodies flying around and how they've been swarming the ball all game. So a miscommunication throw on the second and 10, and this is when you get word because you haven't taken any time off the clock. You just had two incomplete throws with the quarterback that you're trying to trust late in the game. So now you get a third and 10, and you get stopped. So now you get stopped. It's about fourth and six, and you have to punt the ball away. And so you basically just given Michigan a shot to get in field goal range and end of this game at the buzzer. But Michigan, who has had special team problems all game, of course, muffs the punt inside their own five, and they get downed at their own one. Now, I don't understand why the Michigan returner even decided to go near this ball. He should have done the thing where they do in the NFL where the punt is going one way and the guy runs and looks up in the air a totally other way and everybody comes with him. And you let the ball go in the end zone and you get the ball to 20, 25-yard line. It's just a bad mistake. I don't know why he was trying to catch it anyway. The punt was a beautiful punt. It was a moonshot and it gave all of the Alabama players an ability to get down there. So maybe the ball could have been down at the one-yard line if he moved away from it. I don't know. But trying to catch it in that situation and then picking it up and grabbing it and then getting absolutely obliterated in the end zone. I'm glad he didn't fumble. I'm glad he had the forward progress and not make it a safety because that could have been an all-time blunder for Michigan, which would have been hilarious for Ohio State fans to, to talk about later on. Michigan gets out of trouble. They get it to overtime. And my take on the college overtime rules is I used to really, really love it. I used to like it when I was younger, but now as I get older, I really wish college football would switch to just a 10-minute overtime quarter where the first team, if they get the ball, they score, they win. If they kick a field goal, the other team gets a chance to tie it up. And you go from there. Obviously, there can't be any draws in the postseason. So I think after that first 10-minute period, if both teams are tied, then you should go to you know the 25-yard line traditional college football rules. I just think it would make for better, better entertainment, a better watch, especially in games like this. I know in the regular season, the 25-yard line makes, makes sense. I don't know if they do ties in college football. I haven't seen one in my 20 years of watching the sport, but I really would like that rule to be changed. I know a lot of people will probably be against that or will disagree with me, and that's okay because you know you need to separate college and the NFL, but I would like that rule to be revised a little bit because it kind of takes away from all that happened in those first four quarters. So here we are, overtime for a spot to get in the national championship. Alabama, Michigan can't ask for anything better than this. Blake Corum gets two huge runs right away 
Um, he scores on a 17-yard run to actually break the all-time Michigan record. There's one of the most poetic things I've ever seen. A guy who was hurt last year and didn't get a chance to play in a semifinal game against TCU, which they ended up losing. You had a feel for a guy who, who was able to battle back and split reps with a guy all year in Donovan Edwards. And he got his chance in a Big Ten championship and got his chance again in the college football playoff. And it was good to see him score. Um, he, had a good, he had a good moment after the game that we'll get to. So Michigan scores early. They get the ball first. Um, usually you want to play defense first on these situations, but I actually would have liked to go on offense first, set the tone, and to put the other team on their heels on offense the next drive. So once again, Jalen Milrow, it's on you. You know, take Alabama and get a second overtime. That QB counterplay looked amazing. I mean, it was blocked perfectly. Everybody, you know, had on had, and he had a big run. He almost, I thought he was going to score. Regardless, great play. And so now you're at first and goal. You're thinking, okay, now Jace McClellan's going to punch it in. Alabama's going to use their physicality to punch in the end zone, and we're looking at second overtime. First and goal, you get nothing. And then you got Mason Graham, who gets a four-yard tackle for loss on the next play. He was just an amazing player all game. He got defensive MVP, like I said. So third and goal, and you throw to Jermaine Burton, but he gets stopped. Decent throw by Milrow. I don't really know if his receiver had a chance on a play call like that. You want to see... Alabama get a little bit more sophisticated inside the red zone, especially inside the goal line like that when you have a dynamic quarterback who can extend plays. And so now you have fourth and goal. And this play will be talked about and all the way up until next season starts. What is supposed to be an RPO to Roydell Williams in the flat is a bad snap. Jalen Milrow basically has no choice but to run it. And if you watch the replay, Roydell Williams is actually wide open. He had blockers out in the flat it was basically a three on three which he would have had to just make one guy miss which at that point he's at the seven yard line he probably could have just walked in the end zone almost if Milro is able to get the ball out he's not Michigan just comes up big and they stop him and um, Michigan wins the ball game it's kind of a shitty way for Alabama to go out after such a good game and even such a good run by Milro before you hate to see Alabama go out like that but nonetheless Classic college football game. Michigan goes on to the national championship. On to the next game was the game of the night for me. Michael Penix and Quinn Ewers is a great college football matchup. And, a, you know, a, two quarterbacks we're going to see on Sundays. Washington fans were buzzing all night. And in the Superdome, you have a, a great echo in there. The acoustics in there are great. I've never been. But anytime you watch a game and they're playing in the Superdome, it just feels a little bit more intense. And I, I just love it. And so two deflected passes to start out, out the game um, for Washington. Ewers had a tough time early in this game and um, actually have a funny betting story that I will tell at the end of this podcast that actually won me some money from Quinn Ewers. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Washington's first drive starts at the 11, and they have a huge throw to Jalen Polk for 77 yards. And at that moment, you could kind of just tell that the Washington receivers were going to be a problem for Texas. They're really fast. They're on the same page with their quarterback. And when you have a quarterback who's going to put every single throw on the money, all the receivers have to do is just get a little bit of separation, which they were able to do. And then Dylan Johnson cleans it up from the two-yard line. He was a solid, solid back all game. He didn't have a lot of yards, but he was really effective. And he's a part of my betting story at the end, which, like I said, we will get to. So the next drive, C.J. Baxter has a good screen. Um, True freshman running back, he had a good game um, until the very end when he fumbled. C.J. Baxter is definitely a name to to look forward to uh, for Texas for years to come. I think him and 
Arch Manning will be a good duo in the backfield for Texas next year. He is the first true freshman to start for Texas since Ricky Williams in 95, which I thought that was an amazing stat because, you know, Brock has hardly ever give any, give any credit to Ricky Williams these days, but he was one of the better college running backs of all time. And if you don't believe that, just go watch the tape. After um, a Quinn Ewers scramble, Jaden Blue gets the first, uh, first touchdown five yards out. He played really well all game. I actually thought he might break a return. He looks like a really good return specialist for Texas and, you know, a, a really good weapon. So the next two drives are three and outs, um, kind of just regular stalled out drives that took up a little bit of time. But then Michael Penix has a 29-yard back foot throw that just lands right on the money. Just another one of those NFL throws that you kind of just like, yep, that's the NFL guy on the field right now, and he's making every single throw. He's also escaping the pocket really well, avoiding hits inside the pocket and staying in there and delivering good throws. He hit Roma Dunze, who is a, a fantastic receiver in his own right. He hit him over the middle for a 24-yard bullet. That pretty much set them up for another score. And so that was pretty much the end of the first quarter. And so at this point, we've had four quarters of a classic football game in overtime and a great first quarter of the second semifinal game. So we can't really ask for much other than these games kind of running late. So Washington has a long drive into Texas territory, and Dylan Johnson gets his second touchdown of the night. And so the next big special teams moment that comes in these playoff games was Washington had a muff punt, which was a freaking shotgun shell to their foot, and it was in their own territory. Texas immediately, Ewers to Jordan Winnington, and then we actually get a big man touchdown, which was hilarious. Uh, Byron Murphy, uh, number 90, the starting D tackle. Ties it up at 14 to 14. Um, you love seeing a big man get a touchdown, especially in a game like this where you need the points. They're not winning in a blowout. They're not losing in a blowout. And this guy, you know, this guy scores. And I don't know how many touchdowns he's had in his career, but that's going to be that's going to be a memorable one. And so we're at 14, 14, Washington, who now drives all the way into the red zone and they give their ball to their quarterback in Wildcat. And I will never understand taking the ball out of Michael Penix's hands at any position in the field. I don't care if he's just in there to hand the ball off three times in a row in the goal line. Heisman runner-up, best player on the field so far, and you're just, taking, you're just taking the ball out of his hands. You're giving Texas the easy way out. And I think that was a big play that shifted the game. They get stopped on fourth down and give the ball right back to Texas. I think if you score right there, you have some momentum coming out of halftime, but... So we jumped to later in the second. You know, Penix was another laser to Jack Westover, who had an amazing game. He had six receptions for 59 yards, actually. He was the third leading receiver after Adunze and Polk. Jalen Polk, two targets, two receptions for 100 yards at a TD. So he had a very efficient first half. And after, after uh, Jalen Polk scores to make it 20-14, Ewers comes right down, gets Texas 72 yards down the field, 10 plays, and now it's 21-21. 21 to 21, not even halftime yet, and we have a lot of good football left. Ewers are starting to step up and play a little bit better. Penix is still slinging it. The receivers look good. So my key for Washington in the second half was just to play turnover-free football. That's all they really had to do. I don't think Texas was ever going to stop their offense. I just think Washington was only going to shoot themselves in the foot if Penix threw an interception or there was a strip sack fumble or something like that. Watching his first drive, it was easy. Michael Penix, six for six on the drive. Another great throw to Jalen McMillan to make it 28-21. Penix was killing Texas uh, zone defense. Texas was playing two high safeties all game, and Penix was just diamond it over the middle. There's a lot of space in the middle, 20 yards, 25 yards, 30 yards down the field, just lasers from Penix. And you can't ask for anything better than that when a QB is willing to stay in the pocket under 
some pressure, which he really didn't have to face all season, and he's just delivering strikes. And so first play, Texas turnover, C.J. Baxter fumble, uh, fighting for extra yards. So first play, Penix throws another great throw to Jack Westover, who has been pretty much the X factor at this point. Um, Washington, they end up getting a ten or end up getting a field goal to make it a ten point lead. Washington <laughs> gets the ball right back. He's on the same page with his receivers every snap. So now Washington is up 34-21. Uh, Braylon Trice gets his second sack of the night to put Texas in a third and five. And then you were to Xavier Worthy to nice throw on the sideline. It's a name I was expecting to hear more. Um, Xavier Worthy, he was fighting back from injury this whole time from the Big 12 championship. They said he was going to be 100% going into this game, but I never believed it. He had a quiet night, and I was expecting him to do a lot more. And then Ewers throws a nice fade route to Adonai Mitchell. Good play on the ball. I mean, just perfect fade route technique, high point it. Nothing the defender could do. Great throw. So at this point, it's 34-28. Washington's drive is taking a bunch of time off the clock. You had Penix throw to Adunze to the sideline, and that put him over 400 yards on the night. Adunze should be a top probably 15 draft pick he could be the first receiver come off the second receiver coming off the board behind uh, Marvin Harrison let me correct myself on that Texas gets a field goal to cut the lead to seven after they failed to convert a TD after they got the ball back and at this point it's, it's 37 31 Texas who you thought was going to score they end up getting a field goal Washington is driving and pretty much has his game put away Texas gets a stop on third down but Dylan Johnson goes down and so when Dylan Johnson goes down the clock has to stop. And at this point, you're thinking, okay, maybe it's a, a Texas player faking the injury to make the time stop, which would have been a smart move. I think they might have changed the rule to make the clock keep running after that player gets to the sideline. Regardless, Washington player is hurt, starting running back, which is, would be huge for the national championship. And it stops the clock at 45 seconds. Quinn Ewers, his over-under is 288. It's sitting at 262. My other TD scores had already happened. Penix had 400 yards. His over-under was 312, which I thought was very low. And I needed Quinn Ewers to throw for 20 more yards, but I didn't think I was going to get it. This guy gets hurt, 45 seconds left, so I have some hope. Texas gets the ball back, and immediately Quinn Ewers throws a 40-yard bomb to Whittington, and Texas is now on the brink of doing the unbelievable. That gets Quinn Ewers to over 300 yards. My bet hits. It's for 2,300. I'm ecstatic. And I'm like, I don't even care who wins this game anymore. But Texas is driving. So I'm, you know, so I'm all still dialed in. I'm happy as hell, but I'm dialed in. Texas, what I thought, you know, was going to do was try to get Xavier Worthy in a one-on-one. But Adonai Mitchell, who had made that touchdown catch in the end zone earlier, they go to him twice. The first time it was over his head, didn't really have a chance to make a play on the ball. He gets another shot at another fade in the end zone, which I think it was a bad ball from Quinn Ewers, too. If you look at the replay, you could tell that um, Mitchell had his guy kind of beat to the sideline and had him on his backside. And so all Quinn Ewers really had to do was kind of just laser it into like a pylon throw and let his receiver make a play on it. Instead, he throws the ball over his head. That ends up being game over. Washington gets their W, and they will face Michigan in the national championship. Washington and Texas was a great football game. Maybe not a classic, but... At least it wasn't a blowout. A lot of people had Texas winning that game. I've been a Washington believer, you know, since their season started, since last season. And it was just amazing to see them come out on top. So now we have Michigan and Washington in the college football national title. This game is going to be great. The one thing I fear is that Michigan's physicality is too much. Um, 
with Dylan Johnson being out, that's another guy down. Texas is not as good as Michigan. I think that actually almost be a tier below Michigan. But the physicality from Texas to Michigan is a huge jump. And when you have to play a team back-to-back like that off just a week's rest, that can that can be scary. I think that if, if Michigan gets to Michael Penix early and often into the game and um, Michigan's secondary locks down these Washington receivers, which I think they're going to have a hard time doing, that game can get kind of ugly. I do think Michigan wins this game. I will be rooting for Washington, but I just think Michigan runs the ball against Washington way too well. Unless Washington can get some some pressure on J.J. McCarthy and make him um, have to beat him beat them with his arm, which I don't think he can do, then I think that Washington has a chance. But Washington, their offense, they can compete with anybody. Penix can, is the best pass thrower in college football to me. I think he proved that this year. I think he definitely proved that last night. But they're going to have to be clicking on all cylinders. There can't be any turnover blunders. Penix has to take care of the ball. He can't really throw that many. Inter- he can't throw more than one interception. And they have to limit their turnovers. Fumbling, special teams, they have to be clicking on all cylinders to beat this Michigan team because Michigan, it, it, they look destined to win a national championship. It looks like Blake Corum is going to probably get in the end zone another uh, another time, J.J. McCarthy is going to do a good job of managing the game, and you're going to let Michigan's defense do most of the talking. January 8th, National Championship on a Monday. I appreciate you guys tuning into this episode, going game by game with me. I will have a National Championship reaction. Two great games. We had one classic Rose Bowl game, another good um, Sugar Bowl. And so now we have a National Championship in Houston, another great dome. Um, some classic football games have been played in that stadium as well. So I can't wait for that. I can't wait to see Washington hopefully get a victory. This is Pop Culture Playbook. I appreciate you guys listening. Catch me on YouTube. I will be uploading all this on YouTube. Subscribe for more. Click on the link in Spotify. Follow, rate my show. Like I said in my previous podcast, I will be doing interviews. We'll be uh, reaching out to some people to make some more content. But it's your boy Cam. I'm out. Peace.